Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning to hear the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. 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 So I thank everybody for joining us this morning. I thank everybody that's going to join us on SoundCloud, or I thank everybody that's going to join us on GospelSavingChurch.com. Uh, for all those that are listening online or following me there, uh, um, we're brand new to the Dallas Metroplex area. We've only been in churching for about nine months. The Lord led us to start this church about nine months ago. And uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. He's teaching me a lot, and we're growing and learning a lot. And thanks be to God for all his provisions. So I want to open up and pray before I give the title or before I read or anything. Do a little different, ask a little intro there a little bit, and then uh, then pray. And uh, into that we trans- transition to our message and to our title. So Lord, you join me with a word of prayer, please. I want to bless the service and bless our our time here. Lord, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your forgiveness, and your grace, and your mercy. But also, Lord, thank you for telling us how to live. Because, Lord, I just was talking to a fellow just the other day about rules, why there has to be rules in this world. And, of course, we don't have rules in this world. We have anarchy. And he admitted that. He, he spoke up first thing. And, and then, Lord, we talked about your word and how your word is like a rule, your word is like a rule book. And how you give us that word as a rule book to teach us how to live. Because if we don't have any rules on how to live, what do we have still? We have anarchy. So Lord, I thank you for your word and the, the light that it brings us and the truth that it brings us and the direction that it brings us. I pray now, Lord God, that we would hear and open up to your truths this morning as we turn to the Gospel of Matthew again. I pray you to open up those truths to us and teach us how to live and teach us how to walk just like Jesus. Yes. We love you and we praise you. I ask that you anoint this service, anoint my mouth to preach the truth, to preach the gospel today. Yes. I pray you to anoint all the hearts that would ever listen. Lord God, that people that aren't there with you, Lord, would be there, would come to be there. And those that are there with you would grow closer to you, Lord. I pray you keep distractions down, Lord. I pray anybody that goes to listen to this ever, anywhere, forever, whenever, Lord, you keep the distractions out of their lives as they're listening to it too as well, Lord God. You'd block Satan that he would not be able to penetrate or make distractions while we're listening today, while we're teaching today, and while anybody's listening, wherever they may be listening from. I love you. We love you, God. We just praise you. And we ask all these things come to the only one that we can come through. We come through the name of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. Amen. So as I said a little earlier, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to be in verses 23 through 27. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. If you haven't already, please uh, put your phones on silent so that we don't have any distractions in the service, if you've got them on. And uh, 
The name of our sermon today is called Following Jesus Isn't Easy. Following Jesus Isn't Easy. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Let's read along with me if you'd like. Now when he, Jesus, got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? First of all, I start out with saying, and it won't seem that way for a little bit, but I'm going to first start out saying that this section of scripture has given me in the past a tremendous, tremendous amount of encouragement. In fact, this section of scripture has probably encouraged me more than any other section of scripture in the whole Bible through my work for the Lord, through my service unto him, through my faith in him, this section of scripture has been a tremendous encouragement to me. So I hope that I, being the mouthpiece of God this morning, would be able to translate it to you and show you why it's been an encouragement to me. And I hope, my hope and one of my prayers is that it would be a an encouragement to you too, wherever you're at with the Lord today. So, saying all that, let's get into it and let's see what the Lord has to say to us today. First, I want to paint a picture for you. And the picture starts in verse 18. It says, And when Jesus saw... A great multitude about him. He gave a commandment to depart to the other side. That would be Matthew 8, 18. Well, to the other side of what? Do what? Where were they? Paint a picture so that you always have an idea of where Jesus was. Remember before this, he was in Peter's mother, Peter's house, healing his mother-in-law. Then he came out and he was healing the sick and the lame and the demon possessed and so, forth, so on and so forth. And then now, here in verse 18 of our Matthew chapter 8, which we just studied last week, he says to his Bibles, or he said to his disciples, excuse me, he gave them a command to depart to the other side. The other side of what? They were on a little sea, probably on the Sea of Galilee. Now, we know that they were on a sea by verse 23, where it says 823. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. So you can't get on a boat on land. you got to get on a boat and then go across a sea. So this whole section of scripture is about Jesus and his disciples on a boat in the middle of a sea. So I just want to paint that picture for you so that you have an idea of where they were. So what is the first thing that we see in verse 23? Hey, that even rhymed. I wasn't even trying. <clears throat> verse 23. Now when Jesus got into a boat, his disciples followed him. What is the very first thing that we saw? Jesus gets on first, and his disciples followed 
him. All throughout the New Testament, this is huge, because we see the disciples following Jesus. That's huge. The Greek word for Christian is follower of Christ. Notice the disciples got into the boat after Jesus got into the boat. Disciples were followers of Christ. They were Christians. The Bible says in Acts 11.26, it talks about the disciples and it says, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And who were called Christians again? But disciples. Disciples. So, in the wilderness, when God, after the Exodus, took Israel out of Egypt, in the Exodus, they were going through the wilderness, and it's the Bible records that during the day, there was a pillar of cloud that always covered Israel, and by night there was a pillar of fire that always covered them. It was like in the center of their camp, and it always covered them. It gave them light by night, and it gave them shade by day. But another most important thing that it did is exactly what we see here. The disciples followed Christ. A major, major thing that it did for the children of Israel is the children of Israel did not break camp or get up and go out until the pillar of cloud by day moved or the pillar of fire by night moved. So what was God even saying to his children, to people back then? Follow me. Until that pillar of cloud moved, or until that pillar of cloud or fire moved, the children of Israel weren't supposed to break camp and move. We see it all throughout the whole entire Bible. God, Jesus, the same. We heard that, I think, last week. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And God said it, and Jesus said it, and they said what? Follow me. I have a saying that I've kind of heard or come up with. I don't remember which. I think I heard it. But this is how a real Christian should look at their lives. Picture yourself, Jesus in front of you, and you following him. I always encourage Christians to follow him so closely that if he were to stop, you would bump into him. But nevertheless, always to be following Jesus Christ. And I know we talk about this often here at Gospel Saving Church. Well, why do we talk about this so often? Why do we talk about it being so important to follow Jesus Christ, to be a follower of God? One of the main ministries that God has given me, especially in America, but I'm sure it's the same all over the world, is to kind of reset people's mindset on what a real Christian is. In our society, especially here in America, especially we live in Texas here where our church is located, and especially here in this Texas region, in case anybody that's listening doesn't know, but this area of Texas is called the buckle of the Bible Belt. The whole kind of south is considered the Bible Belt. But here in Dallas, Texas, you know where the old show has come from, Dallas and whatever, that, that old show back in the whatever 80s or 70s or 90s, it, this is considered the buckle of the Bible Belt. 
And here in this area, and especially this region, everybody calls themselves a Christian. But what, I, what I've run into for years now, a decade plus since I've been a Christian, people say I'm a Christian, but they don't follow Christ. So their lifestyles don't follow Christ. So that's one of the things that ministries that God has given me is to biblically show you, not through just my words, but show you right in the passage, right in the words of God's word, what does God say that a real Christian is? If you want to go to Matthew 19, 16 through 22, because although we keep beating this dead horse of what is a real Christian, I again, to disciples, followed Jesus into the boat. That is a real Christian. He got into the boat. He said, get the, get the boat ready. They were preparing the boat while he was kind of mixed up with those other two guys, the scribe and the disciple. They got the boat ready, but they didn't get on the boat until Jesus got on the boat. So, disciples again, following Christ. But in Matthew 19, 16 through 22, we read another account where Jesus says, follow me. And the Bible records, it says, Now behold, one came to him and said, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, he, Jesus said to him, You should not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you shall, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man realizing in verse 20, realizing that he's done these things, but it's not quite enough to keep the commandments because Jesus was asking him, Jesus basically told him the way to enter into life via the old covenant. Under the old covenant, you loved God and you kept his commandments. And God gave those as a good rule of thumb. And, hey, keep my commandments if you want to enter life. But this man realizing that keeping the commandments really isn't enough. There's something I'm lacking. In verse 20, he says, The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? So he realized that there was something still yet that he still had to do. That he still had to, he wasn't quite there yet. As just today, if you are a religious person and you, are, you consider yourself a good person, you have to realize by now, I hope, by God trying to reach out to you, because I'm, I'm sure he has, maybe hopefully you're listening, that keeping the commandments is not enough to get saved. You cannot steal your whole life. You cannot commit adultery your whole life. You cannot murder your whole life. But just one time you tell one lie, and you've broken something that God told you not to do, and and you'll still be on your way to hell because you still broke God's law. Even one separates you from God. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Just one sin separates you from God. Verse 21, Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. So even selling all that you have still won't get you into heaven. Even giving your body to be burned, as Paul writes in Corinthians, won't get you to heaven. But he says, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, 
he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So the young man's God was his possessions and his wealth. And he didn't want to give those up and follow Jesus. And Jesus saying again, follow me. Turn away from the gods that are in your life and follow me. And it's the same message today as it was back to this young man. Back to Israel coming out of the wilderness and spending 40 years in the wilderness back then. God says, Jesus says, follow me. So, know now, if you're listening to this and you call yourself a Christian, then your life better resemble the lifestyle that Christ lived. And if you can and or you will hear or you will hear Jesus say the day when you meet him when you die. Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 chapter 21 Excuse me, Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So, if your lifestyle does not line up with the way Jesus said to live, and you're not following him the way he said, follow me, then you'll hear him say that to you the day you die. And you go to meet him face to face. Because you will. The Bible says that it is a point for man to die once. And after that, the judgment. So, moving on. That's what a Christian is. Moving on. So, is it easy to be a Christian? Well, the title of our sermon today is Following Jesus Isn't Easy. So, I'm going to, you probably already know the answer. Unless I'm lying to you. But the answer is absolutely no. Read 24. 824, back to our scripture today, and let's see if the disciples had an easy time following Jesus. Verse 24. And suddenly, this is after they got into the boat, Jesus was down sleeping, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but Jesus was asleep. So what do we see happen to the disciples after they obeyed what Jesus told them to do? But we saw trouble. Following Jesus is not easy. It has its challenges. Jesus never said in the word, if you follow me, your life will be awesome and your life will be great. Follow me and you'll never have any more problems. Follow me and your life will be like a walk through the park, tip stepping through the tulips. Jesus never said these words. In fact, all throughout Jesus' whole ministry, and even in the books of the New Testament, we see the followers of Christ having difficulties and troubles because they follow him. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 7:14 he said narrow is the gate difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. So we see the whole New Testament Christ's disciples themselves right here. We have Jesus up on the mountain 
meeting with God and Elijah and Moses one time and James and John and Peter with him, the great three. What happened when he came down? Let your mind remember back. When he came down, the other disciples were down there. Well, they had tried to cast out a demon out of a young boy. Well, it seems like, if I remember correctly, that a whole bunch of people were gathered against those disciples because they couldn't do it. So Jesus comes down out of paradise. He had just been transfigured on the mountain. White and shining, beautiful, colored, looking, looking, everything. He was gorgeous with the disciples. As he's coming down, what does he fall into? He falls into disaster. People were against his disciples all throughout the whole New Testament. Uh, Jesus saved Paul. Probably one of the greatest Christians to ever walk the face of the planet. Ever, in my opinion. Yet even Paul himself, in the book of Acts, before he became Paul, he was named Saul. And he was one of those examples that we'll give of the Christians, of the disciples of Christ, having troubles as they follow Christ. Because Saul was a Saul was a religious persecutor. He was a Jew. He was the Jew of Jews. And he loved God. But boy, he hated Christians. He hated that sect. They called the way, or they called it the sect of Christianity back in those days. So he was going out with papers from the religious leaders, going out and persecuting, even to death, Christians, people that started to follow Jesus Christ. Even he himself was one of those waves, those great storms, like they came upon the disciples here. Even he was one of those great storms that came against early Christians, or early people that decided to follow Jesus Christ. But him being the, one of the most dedicated followers of Christ ever. So you'd certainly think, well, this guy was one of the most dedicated followers of Jesus Christ ever. Certainly, his life must have been fantastic. He must have had no problems. He must have had no worries. He must have had no issues. His life must have been a piece of cake. He loved God with all his heart once he was converted. So we're going to look at a bit of his testimony to see how great his life really was once he started to follow Christ. And it's in, found in 2 Corinthians 11, 23-29. If you want to turn there, you can. Otherwise, I'm going to read it. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 22-29. We read Paul say, this is his own admission to his life as he, after he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, speaking of problems that the Christian church were having, because they were having problems, because they were following Christ, just like we're talking about here today. He says about them, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Talk about people that were coming into the Christian church and causing problems. Talk about them being Jews, and yes, they were Jews. All well and good, that's fine. Talk about those people. Then he gets into his life. In Christ. He says, In labors, so in work for the Lord, I am more abundant. He says, In stripes, I am above measure. In prisons, for me, more frequently. 
in deaths often. We know of one time when Paul was stoned to death and the disciples gathered around him and he lived. He rose up. Verse 24, From the Jews five times I received forty stripes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Boy, if this guy was having a crusade today and he stood up and said, Hey, here's what I've been through for Jesus. Hey, come and follow me. I don't think he'd have one convert, do you? I doubt it. Not with this testimony. Because what do we like to hear in today's day and age? We have these TV preachers. Oh, it's all wonderful. Oh, praise be to God. He's just so good. And that is true. He is good. But nobody wants to talk about the cost of following Jesus Christ. Nobody wants to talk about what it really means to be a disciple. He says, three times I was shipwrecked a night. And a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and in toil, in sleeplessness is often... In hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things. So there were more things that happened to him that were bad that he even brought up that were right here. Could you imagine? I couldn't imagine even being shipwrecked three times and spending a night and a day in the deep just once. But he says, and beside the other things, speaking to them as if they kind of knew what other things that he went through, because he spent some time with them, so they probably would have known more than Paul wrote. He says, besides other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. He says, who is weak? I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not, and I do not burn with indignation. Now, hearing all that we just heard, the New Testament, we read here, Verse 24, a great tempest arose. The disciples were following Jesus Christ. A great tempest arose. Paul, great problems. Paul, killing Christians. Christians, real Christians having struggles all over the world even to this day. There's a ministry that I support called Voice of the Martyrs who speaks, who's the voice of Christian persecution, of those that are Christians that are being persecuted all over the world. And I support them. Christians, it's not easy being a Christian. But in the beginning of the sermon... The beginning of the service, if you remember correctly, I said, this sermon has given me great encouragement through my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. This whole section of scripture has been a tremendous encouragement to me my whole life in Christ, these 13 or 14 years. How can I say that? You may be sitting there and thinking to yourself, but Pastor Ed, what are you, crazy? How in the world... Could this section of scripture give you encouragement? Are you nuts? Are you sick in the head? Do you like pain? Do you like torture? Do you like suffering? Are you mental? This is not good news. This sermon, this section of scripture has not been good news. I'm not encouraged at all. Tis true. I hate suffering. I hate pain. I hate agony. I hate it when things don't go my way. 
I hate it when I'm suffering. I hate it when things fall apart. I hate it when my plans don't come into action. I hate persecution. I hate it all. But if I don't teach you what the Bible really says, I'm lying to you. Just because I teach the truth doesn't mean I like the truth, but the truth is the truth. It's either black or white. There's no gray. There's no in-between. i got to teach you the truth or I'm lying to you. It's hard to follow Christ. So how can I say that this section of Scripture has been an encouragement to me? Here's how I can say that. And I'll tell you how right now. And this, to me, is probably the, it's the central focus of this whole message. It's the central focus of what I want to relay to you today. Yes, you will suffer if you become a Christian. Yes, you will suffer if you are a Christian. Yes, things won't always go your way. Yes, you'll go through bad times. Yes, 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 yes. But through my life in serving Jesus Christ for the last 13 or 14 years, I've had my own shipwrecks. I've had my own disasters. I've had my own deaths. I've had my own sufferings. And throughout all those times, many of those times, you know who was right there to tell me, whispering in my ear, that because I was suffering, and because I was in pain, and because I was dying inside, you know who was there to talk to me and tell me that that was all coming upon me because I wasn't right with Christ? It was Satan. Because there is a real Satan. And he was there all along going, Oh, Ed, oh, if you just really follow Jesus Christ the way he wants you to, all this stuff wouldn't be coming upon you. You wouldn't be suffering like this. You wouldn't be going through all these problems. You wouldn't be having all these, all these pains and agonies in your life. If you, follow, if you were a real Christian, if you were really saved, Ed, then things wouldn't be bad like this. You wouldn't be suffering the way you are. But you know what? Satan is a liar. You know why? Here's why. Because God showed me this section of scripture. I was in a prayer meeting at my last church that I went to. And in the beginning, it started out great. Quite a few people came. It was going real good. And after a while, guess who was left praying for the whole world? Just me. I'm not saying that to boast. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that it was a ministry. And the ministry is supposed to have people. And I had no people. So in the midst of this ministry, I'm sitting in the floor of this church and I'm just crying out to the Lord, going, Lord, is this something you want me to do? Because why are there no people coming? I'm sitting up there praying and I'm abandoned. Everybody's abandoned me. Everybody's left me. Oh, God, what's going on? I'm suffering. This is terrible. This is horrible, Lord. And I opened up this section of Scripture. My eyes fell upon Matthew 8, 23 and 24. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but Jesus was asleep. And what I saw, the encouragement that I saw, was that if the disciples who walked with Jesus Christ, who lived with Jesus Christ, who slept with Him, who ate with Him, who were with Him for three and a half years, if they were going through storms, then how and why would I be any different? How would my life be any different than theirs when they walk with the Master? 
He was right there in the boat, in the hole, around the boat, sleeping. And they were still suffering. And when you see that, don't think, don't, don't play that off in your mind. Look at here. So that the boat was covered with the waves. This storm was so bad that the boat was filling with water. The boat could sink if it fills with water. This wasn't just some rainstorm that uh, drizzles. This is a monsoon, people. The disciples are sitting there, and here's a monsoon. And the waves are rocking the boat back and forth, and they're probably barely holding on, and the waves are filling the boat. And they're walking with Jesus. You'd think, well, certainly they were walking with Jesus. He was with them. Oh, my goodness, Ed. Their life should have been awesome. And a great storm arose while he was with them. And I got such great comfort knowing that if they were suffering, walking with him through persecutions and through different things, then so was I. So was I. And I would be, and we would be, and you would be, if you're a Christian today, you'll be no different. You'll struggle. You'll suffer. You'll go through problems. You'll have problems. You'll go through deaths. You will. It'll happen. I promise the Bible says it will. It will. Absolutely. Now, that gave me encouragement, but the next verse even gave me more encouragement than even that first verse. Let's read it. Verse 25. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you little faith? So look what happened. The storms were there. The waves were there. The boat was filling with water. Jesus was there. When they came and cried out to Jesus, what did he do? He saved them. He arose and he saved them. He was there with them and he saved them. Know that today if you walk and you live and you trust in Jesus and you serve him as you should be doing, that those same storms are going to come upon you. Those same waves are going to beat against your boat. Your same boat will fill with water. But Jesus is with you if you're with Him. And if you cry out to Him, the same as the disciples did here, guess what? He'll save you through it too. He'll save you through it too. He'll get you through it. And the only reason they got rebuked here, folks, is because they didn't believe that he could do it. They doubted if you'd have faith and come to God and ask him to save you. And with that ultimate faith, know that he can deliver you through whatever you're going through. He will. And then he'll rebuke everything and he'll calm your storms and he'll save you from it. But then you won't even have to hear, oh, you have little faith. He'll just do it. He'll just do it. Awesome. That's why. And it's still more, but those two reasons were why God showed me and gave me such encouragement from this section of Scripture. We have Romans 8, 35-39, where God says, faithfully in His Word, He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. He says, as it is written, for your sake we're killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet all these things were, all these things, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul writes, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So whatever storm that we go through, who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing and no one. That's why I get encouragement from this section of Scripture. That's why. Praise God, He doesn't leave us during the storms. We only face Him with Him, not alone. And then we have verse 26. Read it. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, you little faith? Then he rose to the backside. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Jesus is always in control. He's always in control. And he got up and he rebuked that storm and those winds, and he made them calm. And he quieted the sea. The same that he can do today. We need to just trust Him and go to Him in our tough times, in our storms of life, and cry out to Him, and He will save us from them. He will get us through them. Now, since now we have to beg, we have to beg one question. Though before we get into our close, Christ knew before He sent the disciples to get the boat ready. Jesus Christ knew that that storm was going to come. So why would he send the disciples? Why would he send us to do something knowing that the storms are going to come when he asks us to do something? That seems kind of mean. If you look at it from a certain perspective, that seems kind of mean. But is it? You can look at it like this. During all the storms we can face, there's only two ways which we can turn. We can either turn to ourself, and we can try to handle it in our own power, in our own strength. As I can imagine the disciples, God just put this on my mind, as I can imagine the disciples as the storm started, and as the wind came, what did they probably do first thing? They probably tried to get on the oars, and they probably started trying to row. And what were they probably trying to do? Because it doesn't sound like they were very far from shore when this thing came up. They probably tried to roll back to the shore that they came from. Which wouldn't be what Jesus told them. He said, go over to the other side. They probably tried to go back. Isn't that so true? Whenever we get stuck in a storm, what do we try to do? We try to go back. God tells us to go left. And as we take that left, we st the struggles come and pains come and sufferings come. And, oh, wait a minute, Lord, that's too hard. Let me go back to the right. 
I just need to, need to make a U-turn and go back home. But they weren't able to, and it failed. That's why they came to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, please save me. So the disciples here turned to God, not away from Him. Because you can either turn to yourself to get you through a struggle, or you can turn to God to help you get through whatever struggle that you're going to. We need to learn to cry out to Him, trust Him, depend on Him for our help in every situation, and have the ultimate faith that God will help those that belong to Him get through anything. For God says again faithfully in His Word, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. All things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So if you love God, and you're a worshiper of God, and you're a true man or woman of God, then all things in your life work for the better for you. Even everything that happens to you. Even this storm that was filling the disciples' boats here, their boat, excuse me, was for their good. Now God allows us to go through these storms because they make our faith strong in Him. And how does He do that? Read verse 26, the end of it. He arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. When we cry out to him and he delivers us from the storm that we're going through, what does that do? It strengthens our faith. It shows us that God is the great deliverer, that he will deliver us through what we're going through. And when we're delivered from whatever it is that we're struggling with, whatever it is that we're suffering with, whatever bad time that we're going through, we realize God had it all the time and our faith grows stronger. And then we stand there. I can't tell you how many times I've stood there like verse 27. Let's read it. So the men marveled saying, how can this be? that even the winds and the sea obey Him. How many times after I've been through a bedtime, after I've been through a storm, that I've cried out to God, and He's delivered me from the storm, and then as He quells the storm, as He breaks the storm down and uses His supremacy and crushes that storm, that I'm sitting there going, Wow, God. You are awesome. You've got it. You had it the whole time. Praise you, dear God. Wow. That's awesome. And I'm standing there. We're standing there just like the disciples in verse 27. Woo! Praise God for his word. Because don't think that this account here, 8, 23 through 27, was just for then. It's absolutely right for you right now, today, Sunday, 2013, wherever you live, wherever you are. If you're going through a storm and you're God's and you cry out to God, he'll save you from the storm. In closing, are you a disciple? Are you a believer? Or don't you believe in God at all when you listen to this? wherever you stand. Remember, as a disciple is someone that follows Christ. The root word 
of a disciple is discipline. Discipline. A follower of Christ is a disciple. It's someone that's disciplining themselves in the way of God all the time. More and more and more and more every single day, you're disciplining yourselves in the ways of the Lord, the following of Jesus Christ, the seeking of Him, the growing closer toward Him, and the growing in of your faith every single day. It's disciplining yourself. That's why God calls people that follow Christ disciples. So are you a disciple? And if you are, praise be to God. Keep yourself daily practicing following Jesus, obeying Jesus, serving Jesus, trusting in Jesus, and loving Jesus. Get busy serving Him in the ways that He told you in His Word. You don't have to wait for a big banner. Oh, wait, I need a big sign in the sky. God, how do I serve you? No, because if you want to hear from God, you just got to go to His Word. Right here in His Word, He'll tell you how to serve Him. Right here. You don't have to go very far. The last poll that I heard done in America is there's an average of five Bibles in every, in every household. That would be people that believe and don't believe. There's an average of five Bibles in the American household. So you don't have to go far. Just open the pages and see what God has to tell you. And as you live for Him, and as you live for Him, as you walk for Him, as you serve Him, don't forget one thing, that the storms will come which is mainly what this message is about. But as those storms come, please remember that they will come. Number one, be prepared. But number two, as they come, remember that He's there to deliver you. He's there with you during all of them. He's there with you and wants to save you from them. Who knows how long He'll let them go on, but God is an on-time God and He's faithful. He'll never let that storm carry too long where it destroys you. You cry out to Him, and He fixes the storm, and He grows your faith, and that's what He wants. Your deeper walk with Him every single time a storm comes. That's what He wants. Do you have a belief in Jesus? Because the Bible says that that's not enough. I believe in the President of the United States. I believe that there is a Queen of England. I believe that there's a moon and I believe that there's a star and there's suns and so on and so forth. So what? Just because you have a belief in something or someone or God even means nothing to God. If that's all it is, is just a belief. Because just like the belief that you can have in the sun and the moon and the stars and your wife or your husband, there's a difference between a belief and knowing something in your heart. If you know someone intimately is different than if you believe in them. We all believe, everybody in this whole world probably heard of Michael Jordan. If you were to call up Michael Jordan right now, the majority of people in the world, you call Michael Jordan right now, and they'd say, and he would say, excuse me, who is this? Hey, uh, Mike, this is, a, this is John Smith. And uh, who are you? I know who you are. Click. Don't call me again or I'll call the police. Why? Because they don't know him intimately. Just because you know of Michael Jordan doesn't make you best friends with Michael Jordan. God wants you to be his best friend. If you're a believer in God, if you're a believer in Jesus, he wants you to take the step of belief to marriage, folks. Belief is not enough. He wants you to come and surrender to him and give him your life. 
and then live for him. It, it's going to be a hard road, but he still wants it. But he helps you get through it. But that's what he wants. He doesn't want you to just have a simple belief in him. Do you not believe? Or you don't know that Jesus is real at all and you stumbled upon this sermon somehow? I exhort you today, I encourage you today to please give God a chance to reveal himself to you. Cry out to God. Ask Jesus if he's real with an earnest heart and just say, Jesus Christ, please reveal yourself to me. I just want to know, are you really real? I just want to know, would you please show me? Please show me. I just want to know that you're real. And the Bible says that if you seek, you shall find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. And if you ask, you shall receive. If you seek a Jesus, he will give you more proof than I could ever give you if you seek him. But you don't know unless you try. You won't ever know unless you try. So please, try today. Try for a while. God, please show me who you are. Jesus, please show me if you're real and give him a shot to do it. For Jesus Christ came into this world wrapped in human flesh to die for the sins of man because the Bible says that we're all sinners. And our sin brings us to death, which is hell. But God loves you, and he wants to save you. He made a way out for you. He made a way out from eternal punishment. If you'll just seek him, if you'll just turn to him now, he wants to save you. And his son Jesus Christ came and paid the penalty for your sin on the cross to give you eternal life. Aside from suffering, aside from disease, aside from pain, aside from tears. I exhort you today, please, if you don't know Jesus or if you know who he is, cry out to him and ask him to save you and tell him, you know, you realize that just believing in him is not enough. And cry out to him and give him your life. Blessed be the Lord. If you pray with me, please. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. And thank you for this message. Thank you for your love. And thank you for all that you offer. I pray, dear God in heaven, that anybody out there listening, Lord God, that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day that they come to know you. God, that today that they would realize their need for you. And they would turn their lives to you right now. And cry out to you and say, Jesus Christ, I need you. Please save me. I don't want to be who I am anymore. I want, to, I want to be yours. I don't want to serve myself anymore. I want to serve you. I want to love you. And I want to show you I want to love you. I want to serve you. And God, I pray for those out there that are yours. I pray that as the storms come, because they will come, we cry out to you so that our faith can be strengthened that we draw nearer and closer unto you through those storms that will come, just like they came to the disciples here in your word today. I pray you bless us, Lord God, and draw us even nearer and closer unto you. And Lord, I pray you bless this message and bless everybody that heard and bless this church. And may you be glorified and draw all men to yourself, Lord Jesus Christ, as you said that was one of the things that you wanted to do. And I ask these things, dear God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. And of course, happy Father's Day to our Father which art in heaven, our Heavenly Father. Thanks be to Him for all that He does for us.